I remember that we were told to be careful of the boys there, so I wore shorts underneath my skirt because I was scared of all the boys. I think we were 14. It was second year. It was just so exciting because we were in a place that there were boys <laughs> and no adult supervision, really. Over the years, there have been many legendary discos across Ireland. For example, Millennium Madness in Galway and Harriers in the Midlands, but very few as famous as Wesley Disco in South County Dublin. Get on YouTube, you'll even find songs made about it. Let's go to Wes. Let's go to Wes. Wesley. Wesley Disco, also known as the Wes, was closed temporarily at the end of 2015 because the Wesley Rugby Clubhouse, which was where it was held, was closed for renovations. Goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend. Two years later, the renovations have finished, but there's no sign of one of the country's favourite discos reopening. You have been the one for so maybe now is a good time for a documentary about the disco that meant so much to so many, The Wes. So Why did it become so well known? Who used to go? And those myths about it, were they true? I've talked to a variety of Wes goers who went at different times over the past 40 years. And over 40 years, there are such contrasts in clothes. A lumberjack shirt and big dungarees. Courting rituals. Close your eyes while you're dancing and not be checking out other people. And of course, music. I got playlists from everyone I met. So you have Love Cats by The Cure. Rihanna, Calvin Harris, my name is Jessie, I'm 23 and I started going to Wes in 2008 and I loved it. I went religiously for about two years, so this for me is a love letter to Wes. I'm crossing the road in Donnybrook, Dublin. I'll tell you what I'm wearing. I'm wearing jeans, white runners, a cardigan, t-shirt and a scarf. The reason I mention this is that because this is the very crossing I used to make every Friday night and sometimes Saturday when I was a young teenager. Back then, about eight years ago, I wouldn't be walking so easily because as well as wearing skirts that were way too short, I wore heels that were way too high and incredibly uncomfortable. I've never actually looked at the uh, entrance to the like pitch before. It just no. never occurred to me that people play rugby here. Yeah, it's so weird. I'm trying to even remember what it was like inside, like the layout. It was... It's like you walk in, and then there's steps down, and then the toilet's on the left. And the drunk room. And the drunk room. Let's have a look.
For me and my friends, Wes was our local disco, like any local disco around the country. But when we went to Irish college, we realised that Wes wasn't like any local disco around the country. It was famous among our age group. People from outside Dublin would ask where we lived in the city and if it was near Wes. While the disco was famous among young teenagers, this was perhaps because it was infamous among their parents. And that was because Wes was regularly featured in national media. Teen disco sex antics that will shock all parents. The Wes disco became a byword for teenage debauchery. This is the shocking face of Ireland's underage drink culture. Certainly for the headline writers in the tabloids. Inside the under 14 disco wet room. Time to lock up your daughter. So what made Wes different? There were a lot of us from privileged backgrounds going to private schools with posh accents, but that's not exclusive to Dublin. Many of us girls tottered through Donnybrook in tiny skirts, but again, you'll get 13 and 14-year-olds doing that in any provincial town on a night there's a teen disco on. What probably made Wes different was the attention it got when it first opened. It's right beside RTE, and it caught the attention of a radio producer who was making reports for The Gay Burn Show. Her name is Anne Walsh. It was 1988 or 89. I remember I was coming home one evening from RTE and walking through Donnybrook, and I saw this line of people waiting to get into the old Wesley disco. And I was immediately struck by the, the number of girls who were out with practically nothing on them on a cold winter's night. The skirts were very, very short and very, very tight. And of course I found myself thinking the same things that my parents had told me, which is, how could you go out on a thing like that? You'll get your death. That's where I got the idea that you could go along and interview some of the people going to the old Wesley disco. And I took a walk around the perimeter. There were an awful lot of couples. And the thing that immediately struck me was that the girls were on their knees. I can still see it, but I really was shocked. And the report I did on the programme, I think, probably reflected that. It got a strong reaction on the Gay Burn Show. So while Anne's report and subsequent newspaper stories down the years made the Wes notorious for all sorts of sexual carry-on, for my group of friends, that's all they were. Stories. We loved recounting them and speculating on what might be going on with that couple in the corner... But to be honest, it was a teen disco with a lot more talk than action. While there was a thrill of danger about the Wes that allowed us to move from being innocent 12-year-olds to worldly wise 14-year-olds, that sense of risk was actually more to do with drink than sex. After all, even though it was held in a city, the Wes was a local disco. And while you could be seen having a bit to drink, 
most of us were not going to expose ourselves to ridicule by doing something risque. So, while the Wes may have been a place of shame in the tabloids and horror for adults, for most of those who went, it was about a place of freedom from school and exams and really... The only truly shameful thing about our nights out the Wes were our fashion choices. Just little boob tubes for our non-existent boobs. <laughs> Tutus and like string tops, leggings. This is Deirdre and Cloda, whose nights out in the Wes were in the mid-noughties. Then they went through a phase like, how much skin can I possibly show? I had like a mane of hair at this point. It was like down to my bum. I feel like everyone just straightened and backcombed their mm. hair loads. And no, that was just what everyone did. No one else had any different hairstyle. Deirdre and Cloda were talking about the years around 2008, but... If you go back through 40 years of the Wes Disco, You're going back through four decades of fashion and style. It's like an angel so, for example, like while Deirdre and Cloda talk about using hair straighteners in 2008, ten years previously, Neve had to make do with an iron to straighten her hair. So it literally just like straight out in the ironing board, iron straight within an inch of its life and you'd have your two bits of hair down the front. And 10 years before Neve was ironing her hair, it was more about the clothes, at least for Maeve, who went to Wes in the late 80s, early 90s. A lumberjack shirt and big dungarees, like 10 sizes too big, and docks. And then there was the makeup. Neve said that in the late 90s, what they did with makeup was pretty crude. Hand stick, lip gloss, shimmery eyeshadow. And then of course your whole body would have just been, just been like brown face, white body. But then by the late 2000s, the Wes girls makeup had become more sophisticated. Fake tan had arrived, as had shaved legs, except not for Callie-Anne. The first time I went to Wes, I wasn't allowed to shave my legs. That was a no-go. For some reason, I was allowed to wear a fake tan, but obviously didn't know how to do it because like, I was, what, 12, 13, hadn't a clue. Could barely, like, I don't know, brush my own hair. And yeah, I think there's some really horrible photos as well, like the like um, luminous blue eyeliner and stuff, luminous like eyeshadows and stuff, which is made you look like you had like conjunctivitis. And let's not forget the boys. Keith and John went to Wes around 2010. And while the clothes were important enough, hair for them deserved special attention. They would half a bottle of gel in it and just stuck it up to the roof. You could break a piece off if you wanted it. At the time, I probably thought I looked great. Uh, in retrospect, I definitely looked like twat. 
So, let's go through a typical night at the Wes Disco. Throughout the 40 years, there was one thing everyone had in common. The night started early. I remember we used to think that getting ready was the best part of the night. The doors may have opened at eight, but the preparations began long, long before that. My school got off early on a Friday, we got off at one. So you'd leave school at one o'clock and go straight to get ready, even though it was on at like 8 p.m. You'd have like seven hours of like, six hours of just like talking about going and then two hours of actually getting ready and going. On a Friday in school, you'd arrive with two bags, your school bag and then an options bag. In it, you could have four tops, four skirts, makeup, which would be like fake tan, a razor to shave your legs, eyelash curler, hairspray. And then we'd go to whoever's house it was and take about five hours to get ready. We'd apply to these fake tan with like a mitt or sock. Yeah, be a long <laughs> line of tan application. We all have pizza supplied by the mall, usually with lots of garlic. Yeah. Strategically, we managed to fill the time and plan what was going to happen that night. Who was going to be there, what boys were going to be there, who was going to get with who, how many people one individual was going to get with. And then as we got a bit older, who was going to be drinking or smoking or if people's parents were going to find out. Yes, the parents. While we were upstairs transforming ourselves, my mum, Sheila, was downstairs also being transformed. Once she saw the clothes and makeup, she went from being a chilled feminist mother, happy to give her daughters some responsibility, to this anxious, hovering helicopter mom. As a parent, she'd kind of turn into this mad barking kind of person going around going, oh! Everything okay upstairs? How are you doing, girls? Or you guys were getting dressed together. I'd never leave you too long without me sticking my head and saying, anybody like some sausage rolls? Or something like that, which meant that you weren't able to get up to anything for, you know, if you were going to get up to something. You didn't have too long to get up to it. Another trick was always, there's always one or two youngsters who either they'd had a little bit too much to drink or they were just really friendly. But you'd always, there's always one or two that you'd say to them, you know, how's things going? And they'd say, oh, you won't believe what? And then they'd tell you stories about what was going on upstairs and so-and-so's dress. So-and-so's dress was probably way, way shorter than the dress she left her parents' house in. And that was the next stage of the evening, for the girls anyway. How to sneak out of your house in something your mother would have thought was inappropriate. Yeah, sometimes before we'd go out, so I'd have like, I'd be like, right, see, and I'd have a hoodie on me, tracksuit bottoms, like look, I was going to PE, and then we just would change then into our clothes. Neve always left the house dressed appropriately. When Neve got to the disco, she didn't go in in her PE gear. Instead, she crossed the road and joined loads of other girls who were getting changed behind a petrol station. Topaz or the shell. We used to just be dropped near it and you just get changed around the garage. Kalyan remembers some of the girls doing their wardrobe changes inside the disco. You'd see girls coming in, girls with like particularly protective parents 
coming in in one outfit and then you'd see them wearing something else in the club and be like hmm interesting and then they'd leave wearing the same outfit again but there would be a definite outfit change for the dance floor which is quite funny and then to the next stage of the Wes evening drink come on when you say to people that this is a programme about Ireland's most infamous young teen disco and you tell them that it was a non-alcoholic disco, even though those attending were 12 to 14 years of age, most people say, oh yeah, non-alcoholic? Really? I think a lot of time we stole it from the parents. Really? I think might have done a little switcheroo with water into vodka and that kind of stuff. Yeah. We used to share a beer or a bit of vodka just before we left, just so that kind of would have its effect in the car. I remember thinking I was so drunk, but I definitely wasn't. Like I'd drank maybe two swigs of beer the first time and I was like, wow, I am crazy. Like. I was like, this is mental. Like, you don't know if you're drunk or just, like, drunk on excitement because you don't know what drunk is. First Wes I went to, I got a litre of Blue Wicked. Blue Wicked or Fat Frog was, like, the kind of main two <clears throat> we were on. And how would you get drink? you'd hang around off-licences, waiting for older teenagers to come along. Inside Dublin, this activity had its own name. Fishing as well, wasn't it? Like, waiting outside the mm. shop. And we, we all looked very young. Like, we still all look like babies. <laughs> like, my sister or Kevin's sister usually would give them a few pound each and go in and tell them what we want. The next stage in the Wes evening was getting in. If you were getting a lift from your parents, you had to make sure they didn't drop you right outside. But, according to John, who went around 2008, if you got a lift from someone's older sister, getting dropped outside could be pretty cool. Evan's sister was driving at the time. She was a couple of years older than us, and she knew the scene, knew the crack. Knew that would be uh, lame as balls turning up with your parents, so she thought she'd uh, sort us out and give us a lift down. So we could arrive, open the door, have a bit of music playing. Look like legends, the legends that we are. <laughs> At the gate, the bouncers were always checking if you'd been drinking. So, according to Deirdre, there were times when it paid to be dropped right outside by your parents. Because you could just be like, I wasn't drinking, look, my mom. just what kind of irresponsible parent would drop me off like this? 13-year-olds with drink on them wasn't the only thing the bouncers were interested in at the gate. They asked about what school you went to. I don't know why, they'd always just check to make sure you were in a particular type of school, because I guess they had different reputations of different types of schools. They seemed to believe that being in certain Southside private schools meant that you were sound. Neve, who went to Wes in the late 90s, didn't go to one of those schools. So we would always have to lie about what school we'd go to, so you'd be going in and you'd be like, oh, 
trying to remember like the name of the PE teacher in the school you were supposed to be going to or what colour the uniform was and it was all the stress before you were going to go in. And I talked to someone else and they went to Rafaela's, it's in Stillorgan, and she said she used to always go to Mount Anvil. She had learnt off everything from Mount Anvil, that they always let in people from Mount Anvil. It's like a fancy school. Yeah. They give you a quiz about what's your school, what year you're in, has you had anything to drink tonight? And then if they were happy with you, they let you in. The next stage of the WES evening, once you were through the front gate, was facing the queue. Not actually queuing up, but walking the long walk past this line of guys and girls. This was a whole drama in itself. I tended to kind of look away or at least pretend like I was having a nice time walking with my friends just to look like I was cool and sophisticated walking past. Like I'd even come in and kind of laugh for no reason. It always have been dark because you'd never go during daytime ever because you just did not want it to be seen with the lights on or with any sort of light because we did not look that nice, you know? Our tan was too streaky. Um, and like you could never walk, so we had like knees bent trying to walk, your shoe might fall off. Sometimes you had like really high platform shoes with like um, that tied around your ankle. So I remember the odd occasion where you'd walk, but the actual shoe was probably the wrong sides. So it would fall to the sideways, but it would still be tied to your ankle. And that was just horribly embarrassing. You were queuing, you were queuing, and then suddenly you were in, and it was quite a moment to walk in. Over the 40 years, the place didn't seem to have changed much. It was a rugby club function room, barely tarted up for the disco. It's probably quite a small space if you were to look back on it, actually, now. Killian and Maeve went in the late 1980s. There were kind of two parts to it, as I remember. There was yeah. kind of dance floor down one end and then kind of hanging out down the other end where there should have been a bar, but obviously the bar was closed, yeah. so the thing was pulled down. And it was dark and it, it used to get very sweaty. John and Keith, who went in 2008 and 9, remember it being much the same. It'd be like getting off the plane in a foreign country when you turn the corner to walk into the dance floor area. It's just so warm. The first thing you'd get as you walk in was the taste of the dry ice in your mouth. Damp air and the walls just dripping wet. I distinctly remember just discussing, like you'd everyone just be kind of crowded in the, towards <clears throat> the centre of the dance floor because no one wanted to brush off a wall and get like their sleeve, their t-shirt soaked or something. <laughs> It didn't matter how dingy the place was. It had boys and girls all crammed inside. It had excitement. And it had the latest music. Some really good music, actually, because it was 90. It was really good music. It was, what, early 90s? 40 years of the Wes, 40 years of the charts in Ireland. So you had the beginning of Tribe Called Quest and a load of other music. Bangles, Eternal Flame was a big one. Yeah. Massive. Stacy's mom. Daggio for strings, Tiesto. What other songs? Cisco Tong song. 
a lot of dance music, a lot of Britney Spears. Yeah, that would have been all late 90s, early 90s, yeah. Maniac 2000, that rings a bell. Mark yeah. Umbrella. Uh, the Blizzards, the Fantasy by the Blizzards. Chelsea Dagger. Dagger. Yeah. What else? I'm I got a feeling. I got a <laughs> yeah, I got a feeling. That's such a weird song. That tonight's gonna be a good night. Your name is real, but I don't you look good on the dance floor. Yeah. Right, monkeys. There'd be two or three songs that would be your slow set. And, you know, it'd be incredibly high levels of cheese. I mean, it'd be... Gotta write a classic. Gotta write a classic. Gotta write it in an attic. Sure, Lady in Red, Christopher. Oh, you know, yeah. there'd be some real, like, stinkers. I've never seen you looking so lovely as you did tonight. I've never seen you shine so... Krista Berg's Lady in Red may have been a stinker, but for Killian and Maeve, dancing in the early 90s, this was the start of the slow set. The slow set was your cue to either abandon the dance floor and head for the toilets, or if you had someone to dance with, time to get really close, chat, and if you were lucky, snog. Lady in red is dancing It was, um, yeah, it was really strange. I think you were meant to, yeah, close your eyes maybe and not be checking out other people while you were dancing. But it was like 12, 13, 14 year olds, like swaying, snogging, kind of just like leering around the room. By the time myself and my friends were going in the 2000s, the slow set was a thing of the past. The chatting and the intimacy were gone, but there was still a ritual. This is how it worked. Two girls would be dancing together. A boy would come up and dance behind a girl he wanted to kiss. Her friend would look at him and then indicate whether he was worth kissing. If she got the nod from the friend, the girl would turn around kiss the boy for about 30 seconds and then go back dancing. The boy would then move on. A guy would come dance behind you and then you'd kind of eye to your friend, be like, yeah, yeah or no. And then they'd give you a little nod or a, a no, but you'd probably still go there anyway for the attention because you get a little bit of attention. <laughs> First time going to disco with a load of girls, it's weird, it's new, like, and at that age, everyone is kind of starting to kiss girls and stuff, so everyone kind of wants to try it, I suppose, and I assume it's the same on the girls' end. <laughs> it was kind of like mostly groups of girls dancing together and groups of boys dancing together, and then usually the boys would come up, and a lot of the time it would be one of their friends actually who'd tap a girl on their shoulder to introduce them to their friends, and then, yeah, that's how things worked. It wasn't very. Sophisticated. 
you'd go, oh, I'd like to kiss that girl. And you'd go ask one of your friends to go ask her, just would you meet him? And then if it was a successful, yeah, I'll meet him, then I guess you'd, you'd, you'd meet the girl. Me meeting as in kissing. It was called Beat the Slapper. Yeah, it was just basically you'd go around and you'd kiss as many fellas as you could. That was pretty much the game. Yeah. My friends play that, I never did. I often wondered what this speed snogging ritual must have looked like to an outsider. One weekend, I had a chance to find out when my cousin Sam was over visiting from the Netherlands and came along with me to Wes. When my cousin said to me that, you know, sometimes the way it works is you just tap someone on the shoulder and you ask them whether they want to kiss your friend or whether they want to kiss you. I thought it was very direct, but then when someone actually did it to me, I thought it was even more direct. So I didn't mind it, depending on who it was, but it was definitely quite weird from an outsider perspective. Or you could try just going up and try chatting to them in that way. That, I've never tried that before and it never worked for me, so. But chatting did work for some people. It wasn't all about kissing a randomer at Wes. It did have some love stories, like Killian and Maeve. Would you dance if I asked you to dance? Would you run and never look back? I was probably 14 and I saw Maeve and I said to my friend, she's very cool looking. And it really struck me, you know, and people back then didn't tend to look very cool. He disagreed with me. He kind of said, I don't really see it. Um, and we still obviously, for well, we're kind of still friends. Yeah, I remember very clearly. She just seemed to have an air about her. She'd say it was shyness or something or reserve, but she certainly just seemed a bit cooler than everybody else there. And I wasn't brave enough to ask her to dance. I think we did have a little fast dance together in a group um, that time, but we didn't actually really talk or anything. So, yeah, we probably didn't speak for a few weeks and kiss for another few weeks. And Maeve was, yeah, much harder to catch. Certainly not for my lack of trying. And, um, so yeah, that was the beginning of it all. I would stand by you forever. You can take my but not everyone took it as slowly as Killian and Maeve. Around the edges of the room were just a line of chairs, which is where people went to kiss. What were you going to say? Fondle, I don't know. <laughs> Get frisky. Yeah which is where Kalyan and the other bouncers came in. We were told if it got to like, I don't know, if there was too much heavy petting involved, we would have to be like, hi, like, yeah, leave room for Jesus kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was people like, obviously kissing and stuff didn't really bother me. We never kicked them out. Cause again, like you can't really kick, you can't really kick someone out without calling their parents because you can't let them out like roaming the streets of Johnny work on their own. So you, I think I probably threatened to call their parents that usually did the trick because imagine when you're 14 years old can you call for your, to your mum being like oh pick up your daughter because she's after doing this like you'd be it's a fate worse than death I'd say like so yeah we never actually had to call someone but the threat was usually 
That was usually time enough. More importantly for Callianne and the other bouncers, though, was keeping an eye on those with drink on them. It was more likely to see girls drinking, I think, at that stage. And it was certainly more likely to see girls who'd had a few too many drinks, which probably wasn't necessarily very many drinks. Yeah. I mean, and I think there was always a worry that if you were kicked out, that maybe they were a little bit vulnerable outside. And so I guess that's why they brought in the idea of the drunk room. Especially for the teeny boppers that get a bit drunk before they go in, end up being very drunk when they're inside and then be caught rapid instantly by one of the staff on the floor. They'd be brought to a room down by the cloakroom. A few of my friends ended up in the drunk room nearly every time we went. So like if anyone seemed unwell, you'd take them there immediately. You kind of look after them and then if it turns out they were fine, you'd send them out and if they weren't, you'd just call their parents and get them sent home. And then they had the, the ambulance people. Yeah, the Red Cross people were there all the time. Like they were always there. So you'd bring them over there and then they would take it from there because obviously they're qualified. In there is the smoking area. And there would have been about, probably about 50 chairs, but it was definitely not enough for the several hundred people who were inside. And I think it was particularly hard because when a bad song came on, that's when everyone would go outside. So that caused a lot of difficulty because it's not like everyone had different tastes in music. We all liked the same songs or didn't. So if a song maybe came on that was new and we didn't know it that well, then everyone would be like, hmm, gonna go outside now. And we'd all like it outside and like you'd try and get seats or like people would all have kind of one cheek on, one cheek off, a lot of sharing. And then someone maybe on your knee as well. And then, I don't know. And then people would also go outside to smoke. That was where, because smoking wasn't, there was nothing wrong with smoking there, I don't think. Which is kind of weird thinking back to it. Uh, third year probably in 2008, 2009. Thinking back on it, it's a bit ridiculous that a load of like 14 year olds was cool that we were out smoking and whatever. But like, I don't think I ever did actually. I think I was too scared about what it would do to me, but that says a lot about me, I think, compared to other people. Um, and I don't think any of my friends would have, but I remember, I think some of the guys, that would have been more where they would have kind of like, oh yeah, go out for a fag, like whatever, no biggie, do you know? And finally, to the last stage of the Wes evening, going home. Maybe it was over by 11 or half 11, I think. And, you know, it was always the threat of, if you're not outside, I'll come in and get you. And we were always outside. It was better than you would think because most people were like, I have to get out by midnight because my dad's here. The annoying thing was the bloody cloakroom because 14, 15 years old, I was quite scatterbrained and I'm going to keep my cloakroom tickets. So they'd literally completely panic. And they're like, I don't have my, don't have my bag. My dad's here at 12 on the dot and I have to be out by then. It'd be absolutely a free for all at that stage. But yeah, it's actually better than you think because most people had to be collected. So, or at least like we had someone waiting for them. So it all, and also that at this point they were like, the kind of like nerves had worn off. They weren't as hyper and it's like, if they were drunk, they weren't as drunk anymore. So yeah, way more civilized than you would imagine. Yeah, it's fine. Even though Wes was just a teenage disco, lots of froth and fun for 12 to 14 year olds, Looking back on it, many of the people I spoke to said it was actually important to their growing up. After a while, kind of everyone just gets to know each other, becomes friends together and stuff like that. So 
we'd kind of see each other every week at Wes and I suppose that's kind of how we kept contact with them through the years. If we hadn't had Wes, I don't know if we would have kept in contact. Oh, well, in five years' time, we could be walking around a zoo with the sun shining down over me and you. And I feel like if you had gone there and never worked there, it would be very easy to be quite cynical about it and be like, oh, stupid kids. Like, like they're so overexcited. This is just like a bunch of streamers in a hole. But I'm like, no, you don't get it. You don't get the excitement of going for your first time. And you don't get like what of an institution it is, like and how it like you really made friends there. And for Killian and Maeve, well, without Wes, there would be no Killian and Maeve. We got engaged a couple of days before Christmas when we were 25? 2001. 2001. And not a single regret. The idea that we could be married and actually hang out with each other all the time and hang out where it was just the two of us <laughs> was just sound like the best idea ever. It seems the Wes Disco is no more. It's now simply a rugby clubhouse, but for 40 years of teenagers, it was more. Here, for the first time, they could dress up, act out, throw shapes, and parade in front of their peers, away from the watchful eye of their parents. Thanks to Wes, we discovered the opposite sex, and new music, and alcohol, and for a few hours on a Friday night, we had the freedom to be whoever we wanted to be at an age when the rest of our lives were tightly controlled. Looking at today's 12 to 14 year olds, it's true, some of us are a bit jealous, as well as being glad we're not them. When I went at 14, I was wearing like Converse there and like Uggs, probably Uggs. Oh, mother of God, yeah, Uggs. Heinous, really heinous. Whereas now, like, yeah, they bought out Topshop and they came. They looked really well. Like, three or four times a night, I'd really, I'd have to ask people where they got the stuff they were wearing. Cause like, I was like, I would definitely wear that even though you were like 13 and 14 and I am 18. <laughs> we didn't have smartphones back then. So there was no social media. So I think now when kids like have nights out, there's so much more pressure with social media and stuff just to look like you're having a great time. And everyone, I guess, puts forward the best image of themselves on social media, but there's so much more of a fallout, I think, when kids act silly or whatever. Back then, we didn't have any of that pressure. You know, it was just good times. So we're walking out of the grounds now of Wesley Disco. As I come out, I think about my 13-year-old self going in there, anxious about what's inside, what's to come, what people will think of her if her hair will be deflated by the end of the night. She doesn't know that she'll graduate college with a few hitches. She doesn't know that she'll lose a job. She'll gain a job. There'll be tragedies. There'll be heartbreak, true love. All she knows is that she's heading into the disco for a great night with her friends. And how to end it, love letter to Wes. There's only one way, the way all our nights ended there, with Mundy and Sharon Shannon. Can I ask your friend, what's a 